movie. Game. Are you for real? Absolutely. <laughs> Hello, this is Russ, and this is Book Movie Game. Hi, I'm Jim with glasses. And just so you're aware, we've gotten bad at this. We do spoil things. We try not to spoil everything all the time, but sometimes we do, so be prepared. If you haven't watched, read, or played these things before, there might be a little... I guess not played. The game is the really a spoiler, but just be aware. Sometimes we spoil things. All right. Well, welcome to Book Movie Game. This is the show where we recommend a book, a movie, and a game each. And today we're going to start with book and start with Jen. I thought you were starting. Oh, we just said it right before we started. He's... Ah! You just said, I'm going to start. And I said, okay. Ah! All right, that's fine. Let me collect my thoughts. So my book today is Born Standing Up, A Comic's Life by Steve Martin. And I love Steve Martin. I mean, people say he's a national treasure. I think that's really true. Mostly I love him because as a kid, I loved him. But he's really just the kind of comedian that does a broad range of things. And he's just sort of the sort of person that you wonder what's going on behind his head. Because he's funny, but he's not crazy funny. Like, he's not funny... He's funny in a way, but it's not like observational humor. So he's not doing something he's telling you about his personal life, which means you don't know that much about his personal life. Other comics, like take like Louis C.K., you know a lot about his family. Not like all of him, but he shares a lot of things about how he feels about things, how he feels about his kids, you know, all of those kinds of things. Steve Martin's humor just does not work that way. So I was really curious when this book came out to read about his life and his personal life and what he said. And sometimes comics write a memoir. They don't really want to. I mean, they do want to, but they don't want to because they don't really want to share about their life (laughs) or they only want to share the highs and not the lows, or they don't really want to look back. They only want to look forward. And you can really tell when you read those kinds of memoirs because they skip over like key points Uh, things don't always make sense. It's like, wait, why? What happened? You were living with both your parents and now you're not. Or, you know, your dad was there and he's gone or your mom was there and then she's gone. But they don't explain key events. It's almost like they can't face it, which I totally understand. But I also feel like if you're not ready to write a memoir, don't write a memoir. (laughs) So with Steve Martin, you don't get that. You get a really clear idea of what it was like growing up in his house. He lived in California, and so he did a lot of, like, early stuff. Like, he started working at um, Disneyland at a very early age and ended up working at the magic shop as the teenager learning magic tricks and showing magic tricks. His rise to fame was kind of slow and full of all kinds of crazy stuff, but in a good way. And you, I like him because he just feels like a genuinely nice person who's really just trying to do comedy in a way that's interesting, and that's interesting to him, and other people don't always understand. He went through a pretty rough period and when he looked like a hippie in the 60s, really long hair, and he basically got booked for this retreat, and he walks out, and it's basically everyone's over, like, 50. And he's like, oh, I want to do my weird hippie humor, but they're not going to get it. And they, he brought the house down. It was the first time he'd ever really brought the house down. And he was like, oh my gosh, like if this can play for, for these old, old fogies, which is ridiculous, but old fogies, it can play for anybody. And what he realized is that the reason they were laughing is because he reminded them of their kids and how ridiculous (laughs) they were. And so they were kind of more laughing at him than with him, but he still took it anyway. So there's a lot of good moments and I, I think it really shows clearly like how he developed his humor. And he's really honest about some of his feelings or or things that, you know, were really tough, like times where he was really blocked. Like he started working for the Smothers Brothers show, which was a big deal, but they never thought any of his jokes were good. And he just realized like he really had one more chance to come up with a good joke. So he called one of his comedian friends and said, I need a joke. Like all the jokes I throw their way, they hate. 
and I'm going to be gone and this is my chance. And so he basically took this guy's joke, gave it to one of the Smothers Brothers and they used it and it kept him on the show, but it wasn't even really his joke. So he was pretty honest about things. I really liked so much of this book because it's charming and he's so kind to everybody in his life. Like he's kind to his girlfriends. He's kind to as much as he can be to his family. Uh, he's kind. And I liked that a lot. And just the same humor that plays out on the stage where you kind of see how he's not afraid to be silly and how he's not afraid to embarrass himself, but he's not really going for the uncomfortable laugh either. is really hard to pull off. And I really enjoy, I enjoy him as a human being, but I really enjoyed his memoir. And it's just sweet to see, for me, just to see like the kind of things that kind of played into his life. And a lot of my childhood is wrapped up in his adulthood. So it's interesting to see from the other side, you know, oh, this is how I felt about doing this. Like, this is why I just, so many things he's so smart about. I'm just fangirl gushing now, but he's really smart about how things he did in his career. Like there's a, a key point when he switched from doing stand up to doing movies. And it's this really great scene he talks about where he basically his comedy tour was getting huge and huge and huge huge and huge and huger I guess I should add an ER in there but it was getting really big and he ended up doing a stadium and he's walking on the stadium he just realized like I have no connection to any of these people like it's so big I have no ability to connect with these people and that's what his comedy was about was connecting with the audience and he just made the decision like I can't do this anymore I have to do something different and that's when he switched over to movies and did movies like The Jerk it was such a smart decision and just shows what kind of a thinker he is and I just enjoy this memoir for all those moments like that, that like personal moments that made big changes in his life and also his overall life philosophy and comedic philosophy were just really interesting to me and really made me happy to read like, okay, this person, even though I did not know much about his personal life, I feel like he lived his personal life mostly with integrity and he's telling the story. So of course, like you could say like he's leaving out all the horrible stuff, but it felt like really genuine to me and just was entertaining to read. Sometimes when you read a memoir, you're just so upset by everything that's happening. It's hard to enjoy it. And not sometimes because of what the person is doing and sometimes what's happening to him. And there's nothing wrong with that kind of memoir, but some, it's nice to get a memoir like this where you just feel like I identified with so much was happening to him and I didn't put down the book and feel really, really sad like I do sometimes with memoirs or feel like upset or frustrated for their situation. It was just nice to read a memoir and just be like, wow, like how much thought went into this or this is why this happened or this is why he chose to do this or, you know, this is why he incorporates magic, used to incorporate magic in his act. This is why he plays the banjo. Like all of those things that were really interesting to me he includes and he's just such a charming writer. I mean, he writes novels too so he's he's obviously talented and he did such a good job. It's just really interesting to me. Yeah, I've always enjoyed his comedy and I always liked like you said he rides, rides that line where he doesn't go to the gross out humor and I just really enjoy his physical comedy and like if you see him on on like talk shows or like live things he's just really really hilarious or like his, at the time he was on the Muppet show was just brilliant yeah it's interesting so he does something like the Muppet show which a lot of people are on but I really feel like he did it with the intent of making it like like that it would stand up not as a children's show and the Muppet show did stand up as not a children's show but just really he took it seriously and did, um, I love his rendition of Wander, or was it Wandering? Wander, I can't remember now. I can't remember either. Anyway, I love. It's I really love, good though. <laughs> I know. If I can't remember, how do I know? I know, I just can't think of the, uh, the name of the song. But he does, he's a really good job in that too. And he's the kind of person that I really like in his humor that he can make you feel pained for him, but you don't feel like you need to do an intervention, which I think is, I always have a hard time. I don't like the uncomfortable laugh. Like we're laughing because we, it's like a release of, pressure because you feel like the situation's so terrible. I don't like that kind of laugh because even though it might make me laugh, it feels like a manipulated laugh and it doesn't feel like a laugh 
where I'm genuinely enjoying myself and I just think it's fun. Like, I don't like comics when it's just like they want to make you upset or they want to make you, and not that comedy should never make you upset, but like their whole deal is I'm going to make you laugh because you're uncomfortable to be here. I'm going to make you laugh because you're uncomfortable with everything I'm saying and I want you to feel bad about yourself or about other people or about just anything. And when they're forcing the laugh that way, almost like hijacking your brain and kind of turning on your your self-defense mechanism about being embarrassed or uncomfortable and make you laugh, that to me feels like a cheat laugh. It doesn't feel like the kind of laugh that makes me good to be a human being. It feels like the kind of laugh I'm doing because I don't know how to else to deal with the situation. And I, with Steve Martin, like his kind of comedy, especially because I'm so much more comfortable with him because I saw a lot of his things growing up, I feel like he wants you to laugh because he finds this personally funny and he finds life absurd and he finds himself hilarious as far as like he just knows like I'm a weirdo sometimes and I'm a big dork and you know one of my favorite anecdotes he gives is about being on Saturday Night Live and they're all like they're like let's go do some coke and he's like I want to go buy a suit. Like, <laughs> does anyone want to go suit shopping with me? There's a really great, suit. <laughs> there's a really great tailor here in New York and I'm going to buy some suits and get them tailored. Anyone want to go? And they're all just like, okay, dude. Like, <laughs> and I love that about him. So just, I think if you enjoy comedy or even like comedy now, there's so comedy builds on itself and why comics now are usually pretty well informed about comedy that came before and there's certain people that inspire a lot of people to be comics and I think Steve Martin is one of those guys so definitely to check it out to kind of see like maybe some of the comics you like that are younger and more current why they're doing some of the things they do you can kind of get I know Paul Fig was a huge 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 Steve Martin fan and so there's there's things like that where you're like oh this does connect to now and plus he's even funny now Born Standing Up A Comics Life by Steve Martin all right sounds great Jen thank you uh, my book today is actually a trilogy of books, The Wayward Pines Trilogy by Blake Crouch. Now, I came to know about this actually through the television series uh, that came out last year, 2015. I forget which show, which channel it was on, maybe Fox. We caught it on Hulu Plus. Jen and I watched it. Uh, it had Matt Dillon, Terrence Howard, Juliette Lewis, and Toby Jones. It was a 10-episode miniseries, and uh, M. Night Shyamalan directed and produced. We really, really enjoyed the show. Um, I'm giving Russ the hairy eyeball right now because I, I think do? he's sneaking in a television show into book movie game. He's like backdooring it in here. Like, so he's going to say he's going to talk about a book, but he's including all the info of the TV series because he really wants to review the TV series. Look at that smirk on your face. Okay, so you it's know? book, movie, game, TV series. No, 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 no. <laughs> Anyways, the TV series was so good. That it got me to want to read the books. Okay, segue. that's enough about the TV series. That's a segue. But the TV series is excellent. It's still on Hulu. And cheater, Hulu cheater, pumpkin eater. <laughs> so the Wayward Pines trilogy by Blake Crouch, which is completely different from the TV show. <laughs> it goes completely different direction, but it starts at the same place, which is Ethan Burke, who is a detective with the FBI, basically wakes up in a ditch and he walks uh, to this town that he basically can't get out of. So after he wakes up in the ditch and stuff, he goes and he's in the uh, he's in the hospital for a while. But they kind of won't like won't let him leave the hospital. He finally gets to make a phone call, but it's always a message from home. You know, it's like he can't reach anybody. So it's this little town called Wayward Pines, Idaho. And all this crazy stuff happens. I'm not going to spoil these books because they're so good. Thank you for not spoiling them. <laughs> I, I have not read the books. I did watch the series. I would like to say 
that I know the books are vastly different, but there's a lot of books that start out with a similar premise and they kind of cheat their way out and not cheat their way out, but I don't want to spoil this, but they basically come up with a solution that has zero long-term consequences. And I think that the author was really brave to come up with a solution that has extreme long-term consequences. And I think that's way more interesting than a novel that you read. And when you finish, you're kind of back where you started to some extent. And it hasn't really affected all that much. So I did not read the books. And they are different, but they do have some of the same uh, plot points, I guess is the best way to put it. So I would agree with Russ. Like this, this is an excellent, an excellent I don't want to say, I guess series. I mean, I haven't read them, but it's an excellent, the whole plot premise is super good and well worth, I think, investigating. Yeah, it's incredibly engaging. And like Jen said, they're not, Blake Crouch was not lazy when he made the decisions about where they went and everything like that. And I really can't tell you a whole lot about it. Just read it. It's really, really super good. And like I said, it's it's not what you expect. And it goes places that are really, really cool. And you guys will enjoy it. I promise you that. Thank you for the recommendation, Russ. I I have a theme today a little bit, but the two the first two things are very closely related because for my movie, I'm going to review Bowfinger. And Bowfinger is a Steve Martin movie. So that's, that's super closely related. Bowfinger is one of those gems. It came out in 1999. And I don't think it's a movie people really talk about. And I actually, I ended up mentioning it in my gaming stream on Twitch to somebody and I recommended it and I realized I hadn't seen it since like 2000 something like 2001 so I was like is it really as good as I remember because Russ and I quote the lines from it all the time like we'll say like mind head mind head gotta make those pencils sharp yeah and so (laughs) we quote we quote things all the time from it but I hadn't seen it in forever so I'm like maybe it doesn't hold up maybe it's not that good maybe it's a terrible movie at the time, I guess it was well-reviewed. Like, Rotten Tomatoes gave it, I think, like 80% or something. Wow. George Ebert gave it three and a half stars. Uh, so it did get some good reviews, but it's not something people talk about. And they should, because the movie starring... It was written by Steve Martin. It was directed by Frank Oz. It's starring Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy. And Eddie Murphy, I think, in recent years has struggled with his movies. And I think that... I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because he did a bunch of Disney movies and they his humor kind of doesn't play to that. This is, I think, such a good example of his humor. He plays two characters in the movie. He does a great job with it. He plays a super paranoid... The one character I can't tell you about because that would be... It would spoil too much of the movie. But the, the first character is he plays a super paranoid Hollywood star. And I love it because... About 90% of the stuff he says is hyper paranoid. And there's like 10% of the stuff that's actually really biting commentary on race relations in the United States. And he like slips them in. And it's so crazy. Like he talks about the Oscars and he says, I can't quote the line exactly, but it really applied to our Oscars this year. And every other year since then, I'm like, that was like in 1999. And the complaints he's bringing up are still legit. They're valid. Which is (laughs) awful. But also just shows you how smart a guy Eddie Murphy really is. And I love that, that he can take a character that would be in any other movie, just a stereotypical throwaway character 
and makes him interesting because like 90% like he literally screams his agent because he has a computer analyze the script and count how many times the letter K appears in the script and because the amount is perfectly divisible by three <laughs> he says it's a racist script which is obviously paranoid and crazy but then obviously he slips some other things in there that are totally accurate and and painful to hear because they're true and this other crazy stuff and so I love that about Eddie Murphy and I love that and I know a lot of that I mean Steve Martin's a very good writer but I know a lot of that's him because I think Steve Martin's a smart enough guy and Frank Oz the director's a smart enough guy to let Eddie do what he does best and it really shows because he's really having fun in this movie and I forgot what it looks like when Eddie Murphy has fun in a movie it's been a while <laughs> it's been a while and a lot of you guys, because people don't talk about this movie, have may have missed this beautiful movie. So, and not only is so it's Steve Martin, it's it's Eddie Murphy, it's Heather Graham, it's it's Christine Barinsky, which you'll remember her probably more more recently as Sheldon's mom in The Big Bang Theory. She does a fantastic job. John Cho makes like a, it, I would call it a cameo, except I don't think he was famous, so I don't think it's a cameo. <laughs> And uh, Jamie Kennedy plays one of the major parts in here. The other thing that's so great and just shows you like how how people's careers kind of go up and down. Robert Downey Jr. plays a minor role in this and he's fantastic. Yeah, he's but the funny thing is you can just tell he was at a point in his career because I think like 1999 he wasn't doing so hot. It was a down point. It was a down point. <laughs> so he's playing this as an actual actor. Well now as if he played this role it'd be like a fun role to play because he's so super famous and he's doing so well. But at the time I think it was like I need to pay the mortgage kind of thing. As far as like he took it as this was a role suited to his career size at that time is what I would say he plays a movie producer and he does such a fantastic job and there's so many like little subtle things this is basically and I haven't even gone over the plot of the movie I'm sorry let's go over the plot of the movie <laughs> Bowfinger is basically about Steve Martin who is Bowfinger who has this basically bottom of the barrel movie company and you can see and the movie is such a good job of showing you that he's basically been trying to be famous his whole life and now he's in his 50s he has no more money left essentially he has enough to do maybe one last project and not even enough to do that and it's really like his last chance like he says to a character in the movie like he's like i'm over 50 in hollywood they can smell the stink of that as far as like he's not going to make it and it's all the characters in this movie all the actors who are playing actors in this movie there's a desperation there and not like a desperation to be famous but a desperation to make something good and to make something that's great like heather graham plays a character that in any other movie would make you super angry and just hate her. But there's something about her where you're just like, she's, she really, even though she can be a despicable human being in a lot of other ways, she does care about this movie and she is doing everything she can to play the best part in it she can. I really love that. And there's so many great, hilarious lines in that. And because Steve Martin has been a part of Hollywood for a very long time, he can skewer things with an insider's eye. Like, Mindhead is basically, I think, supposed to be the Church of Scientology, possibly, or any other, I think, new agey thing that's happening. And there's so many, just so many great lines. I can't, I don't want to spoil them for you, but it's a really, it holds up well. I would say the character of Heather Graham's character, Daisy, you can see a lot of, like, when people talk about how great 90s fashion is or, like, the resur the resurgence, I'm like, you need to look at what she wears in this movie because some of it is crazy. And you're like, mm, we don't need to have that come back. But all in all, it's a really solid movie. There's some really great parts in it. I think if you haven't seen 
a good Eddie Murphy movie before. If you're one of those kids that was born after a certain age and you've only really seen some of his movies that were less well received, you need to watch this and then go back and watch some of his 80s stuff like Beverly Hills Cop and stuff. But I think just a fantastic movie overall and a super quotable movie. And those quotes like last forever. Like I, we hadn't, I hadn't seen the movie in like 15 years and I was still like, I threw out quotes before I'd rewatched it. Like, oh yeah. K-I-T, keep it together, keep it together, mm-hmm. keep, keep it together. You know, like that kind of stuff, like I'm, and I'm doing a really bad Eddie Murphy impression, sorry. <laughs> but I think it's well worth watching. Yeah, I mean, anytime you have Steve Martin as a writer and Yoda as a director, <laughs> I think you really can't go wrong. And I would just want to add to that list of 80s Eddie Murphy movies coming to America, also another great Eddie Murphy movie. Yeah, I wish Eddie Murphy, I wish he had people, I wish he had directors he trusted enough to do something as edgy as he can be because I think like there's really like when you watch this and you guys can write to us at our email address and tell us there's lines in it that really like pierced my heart with their accuracy and the painfulness of where we're at sometimes just how we are about race in this country and how we are with each other and again this movie's like 17 years old it just it blows my mind all right my recommendation Bowfinger go go rent it you can definitely probably get on Amazon I don't think it's on Netflix, although it should be Netflix. Put it on. Yeah, we just watched it recently and and had such a great time with it. Thanks, Jen. We are old people, so we had a DVD. A DVD. A DVD that we put in our DVD player. We used to have it on VHS, so that was enough. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, VHS. I think our VHS wore out. We we watched it so much. I think we bought it from Blockbuster, if that tells you anything. (laughs) Oh. All right. Well, my movie today is a Godzilla movie. When I was a kid, I was a huge Godzilla fan. I had, speaking of VHSs, I had a lot of VHSs of Godzilla. Every time I went to the flea market, I would get a new Godzilla movie. The one I want to recommend today is my very favorite Godzilla movie, Godzilla vs. Megalon. It came out in 1973, of course, by Toho Productions. It was co-written and directed by, I want to say this name carefully, Jun Fukuda. Be careful how you pronounce that one. Uh, This is the 13th film in the Godzilla series. Of course, Godzilla came out in the 50s with Godzilla, King of the Monsters. One had Raymond Burr in it, which was really cool. In the Godzilla 1985 movie, Raymond Burr came back and reprised his role there. This movie is sort of about the planet Zetopia, which it's not real clear how that really (laughs) interplays. But I think these people from the... There's a lot of aliens in these Godzilla movies, but I think the people from the planet Zootopia are friends with Megalon, and they, like, basically, like, summon him to come and fight Godzilla. But there's a lot of cool monsters in this movie. Rodan is in this movie, Gigan is in this movie, Megalon, Godzilla, and the star of the show, Jet Jaguar. (laughs) Jet Jaguar is the best, and that is what makes this my very, very famous, favorite, rather, Godzilla movie. The cool thing is... That Jet Jaguar, who is a giant robot in the movie, who is just like so freaking cool it's not even funny. Jet Jaguar was actually the result of a contest for elementary students. I did not know this before I looked this up. Mm -hmm. So in Japan in 1972, they put out this contest, come up with the best, with the best hero for a movie and we'll make it. And so, this little kid, I, I didn't get the name of the kid, but this little kid won won the contest. And her idea was this giant robot named Jaguar, but also could be sized down to be like, so basically like the robot could be your best friend, but then could also become huge and fight other things. 
That sounds like a perfect Godzilla premise because there's so many Godzilla movies and even any of those large monster movies coming out of Japan where there's a small child who's friends with the monster. And so it's perfect. Like, oh, they could be in your pocket. Oh, they can defeat this big thing. I also think it's a perfect kid name, Jet Jaguar. It's like, it's a Jet Jaguar. It's a Jet Jaguar. It just sounds like a little kid thing to say. <laughs> also, I think we should say we broke the story that uh, Pixar ripped off Godzilla versus Megalodon. Megal- Megal- Megalon. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but it's saying about Zootopia, which obviously Pixar got. <laughs> oh, they just added two O's there. Zootopia, Zootopia. Well, you, wow. I think you actually said Zootopia. Oh, it's Zootopia. Oh, see, now you can't write in and tell Russ he's wrong because I already did it. Oh, well. I spoiled you. No. So originally, originally Jet Jaguar was supposed to be his own movie. Oh. It, it was supposed to be a standalone, but. Pretty soon into the production of the first Jet Jaguar movie, Toho realized it's not enough. Let's let's start adding some monsters. <laughs> let's and, bring out Godzilla to save the day. And fortunately the, for all of us, they added a lot of monsters, which is really cool. So like, you know what this movie needs? More monsters. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So the beginning of the movie is very similar to a lot of other Godzilla movies, which is there's a nuclear reaction. <laughs> um... There's a fight at the beginning of the movie, and it's Gigan. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry. That's the end of the movie. <laughs> at the beginning you of the movie, you can't keep track of the monster battles. Oh no, you can't keep track. There's so many monsters battling. You can't See, keep track. And everything you say about why you don't like Godzilla movies, I'm proving it right now. Yeah. I'm proving it right now. You're like they're all the same, and you can't keep track of what's going on. Okay, busted. Exactly. <laughs> This I still how, love okay, it. Okay, I love my husband, and I don't have a problem with Godzilla, but I feel like when he watches a Godzilla movie, I feel like, number one, it lasts all day. It lasts at least 12 hours. <laughs> he can never tell me what's going on clearly in one sentence. It always takes, like, three paragraphs. The names are always unpronounceable, and there's always a child somewhere going, Ah, save me! Save me! Or if you're really lucky, you get one of those movies where the girl goes, I want a Coke! That's my favorite. And so, I, I, I feel like... I just feel like if he's going to watch a movie, I might as well go someplace all day. Like a, a Godzilla movie. Because there's no there's no getting away from it in the house. You can just hear the roars in the distance. But it's one of the, I'm sorry. I know you love this movie. But I always... I do not get this. And I, I feel like a dummy because I don't get it. But I just feel like it's the type of movie where there's always things happening. But it's hard for me to find any of them compelling in any way. And you love them so much. I think Godzilla is one of those things that you love or you hate. And I'm not willing to say I hate it. I just don't quite understand... The love. And I think that comes, there's some sort of deficiency in me. It's not a deficiency with Godzilla. Godzilla, it's not you. It's me. There's something wrong with me that I cannot love you, Godzilla. <laughs> I'm broken. I probably need to go to therapy. But I don't think we should see each other anymore. Because it's me, not you. I'm a broken human. You're obviously a very complicated dinosaur lizard <laughs> water dinosaur lizard and your life is very busy my life is very busy i think we should part ways you should go do your thing defending tokyo destroying tokyo it's never clear is he an anti-hero is he straight up hero what is godzilla and i should go back to my life and, and it's okay no hard feelings i i love no i don't love you i'm not reopening this relationship i don't hate you that's it there you go. I think I should have I... just texted him. I should, have, <laughs> I should have just broken up through text. Made a mess out of it by calling on the phone. That's true. Oh, man. Now, I think I like Godzilla movies because, you know, there are large parts of the movies that are kind of nonverbal. <laughs> I, I think it kind of gives my brain a break, honestly. It's true. I'm just calling it like I see it. It's true. 
everything that you don't like about Godzilla, which is there's not a lot of dialogue sometimes. There's a lot of growling and a lot of building destroying. I like all that. It's fun. Anyways, so the cool things about this movie are, again, the robot that turns into a giant robot. That's just cool and can fly. Uh, the other thing, too, is that when Jet Jaguar smiles, it he looks a lot like Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. I'm just going to say that. It's a big Jack Nicholson smile. You will see in this movie the tiniest dirt bike that was ever created. <laughs> this kid, I don't know. I, I don't know how old he is. Four, five, seven. I don't know. He's small. And this dirt bike is just the most ridiculous small thing ever. It's just amazing. Now, at the end, which is super cool, at the end, the big fight, and this is what makes this movie cool as well, it's Gigan and Megalon versus Godzilla and Jet Jaguar, which is just really, really cool. It's a great fight. I won't tell you who wins at the end. Big surprise. Uh, And then at the end, there is an awesome Jet Jaguar song. That I'm not even going to attempt to recreate here. But go check it out. Godzilla vs. Megalon 1973. Awesome. Well, I kind of have a theme, but not really. Because my first two things were Steve Martin themed. And I didn't really check to see if there's a Steve Martin game to play. Although there should be. You gotta. There's got to be some games based on... Someone needs to design some games based on his movies. Like Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Like that would make a, I feel like that would make a great game somehow. Somehow. But there aren't any. So basically my theme is things that make me feel good. No, my theme is just things that I, things that I enjoy. That's a terrible thing. I don't know. This game seemed to go with Steve Martin. I don't know how. Things that only Jen's brains connect. I don't know. There's, I don't have a theme. I have a half theme. I have an unfinished theme. I have a broken theme, I guess. So my game today is, it's a board game. It's called Small World. It came out in 2009. Days of Wonder did the United States release. I don't know if they did the international release or not. So I love this game, and the thing I love about this game is that I tend to be the type of person when I play a board game, or like I've played Magic the Gathering sometimes with Russ, and it it feels like I latch on to something, like whether it is a species or a type, and I get stuck with that, and it's hard for me to branch out to other things, and I don't want to give them up. So if I'm playing elves in Magic, like I want my deck to be an elf deck, I don't want anything else in there, and I want to... I want to just stick with it and then I want to play that every single time because I just get stuck. Like, I can't let this go. And so the thing I love about Small World is you are playing different races. And I love that you kind of, basically, it's a bit, it's a board that you can play. It's like like two to six players, five players. I said six. That was they do have a six-player expansion that you can buy, a six-player board, but that's separate from the base game. So the basic game is two to five, but you can get a bigger board. And basically the board like flips over. The point of the game is that the world is, is just a little bit too small for all of us, and we're trying to kind of conquer each other. So that's why the board changes according to player amount, because they, 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 like, to, they like to give you just enough space to be angry and not be able to work well with each other. Basically, you get these tiles that represent whatever race that you have, and you kind of get this cool little thing. Like, half of it is your your race token, and the other half is, like, your ability. So you might get, like, Rampaging Elves or Amazon. I'm blanking out. Marauding Amazons. Marauding Amazons. And they switch up every time because when they come up on where you get to pick them, the abilities pile is slightly bigger than the race pile, which means even when you're putting them back under when you're done with them, it's always going to be a slightly different combination. 
What I like is this game basically forces you to pick a race and the ability that goes with it to use that on the board to conquer and hold plots of land. But then to win the game, you're going to have to give that race up, put it in decline and get a new one. And this kind of forces me to play more of the options. So I'm not, I'm not really an aggro player. Like I don't, and this game forces me to be aggressive in a way that I kind of like. And the thing about it is everyone has to be aggressive. For some reason, that makes me feel less bad. Like if you're playing a game and there's several ways to win, and one of the ways is to mess over all the other players, and another way is to just build yourself up in a different way, I almost always pick the build yourself up in a different way because I don't really like to mess over my friends. These are my friends, even though I know it's in game. And also I get frustrated with it. And I don't like to be attacked myself. Like I get irritated if someone is relentlessly after me and nobody else either. Russell. So (laughs) I like this game because, because we all have to be aggressive with each other. And because we're kind of constantly switching in and out these races, it doesn't make me feel bad when I like obliterate Russell's trolls. Like I don't feel bad about it. I would feel bad if it was in a different game, but I know, number one, he's just going to pick a different race and play with that race. And number two, everyone's going to try it. We all obliterate each other all the time. You would think that would give the game less meaning, but it doesn't. It just makes it really, really fun. So I like this game a lot. It's a really fun group game, and it actually, it's it's not hard to learn how to play. You do have to learn the abilities in the different races, but they have a book for that. And more, if you're playing with a more experienced player and they're good good at introducing other people to board games, they'll do a good job of explaining what you can and cannot do and why and helping you through that. Uh, so I enjoy that. The other thing is too, it kind of forces players. If you ever have players that sit there like forever and you're like, just do something. It's like they're worried about making a mistake so they don't want to make a decision. So you have to sit there and wait for them to make a decision and they're taking a really long time. It's like person one's turn goes on for 10 minutes, person two, person three, person four goes, and then we have another 10 minutes at person one. I find that because of the nature of the game that it forces people to take their turns a little faster and also makes them less worried about making a mistake because we're constantly like murdering each other and taking each other off the board. And so it's never like, I made that one mistake. Now my whole race is murdered. Now I have to sit here and pout the whole game. It doesn't really work like that. And it's actually while you're playing, because of how the points go, you get points for how many pieces of land that you hold. And you're, I think you're supposed to hide the points. If you're not showing the points to everybody else, the nice thing about this game, which might frustrate other players, but does not frustrate me, is it's actually a little bit difficult to see who's winning because it's hard to remember what everyone got on every turn. And the, the tides of the game shift so dramatically that you may not know you're the last player until the end of the game and everyone's revealed their points. Now, the good thing about that is that you don't get that game like give up where you're like, well, I'm going to be last. I'm going to sit here and be grumpy about it and I can't win because everyone kind of feels like they have a chance to win up until the very end. Yeah, it's one of the only board games that we play that I really, really, until the very last round, I really can't really get a good beat on who's going to win. And because of that, like you said, you don't really know. So I've been last many times. Um, I'm actually not as good at this game as Jen is. I'm going to admit that. It's a really fun game. Yeah, it's really hard to tell kind of where everybody's at because everybody's got piles of money in different denominations and stuff. So it's difficult to tell. And but it's uh it's super fun. Like she said, it has a lot of playability to it. Each of the each of the boards for the different number of players is completely different. So it's even a different kind of strategy depending on how many players you play. Whether you're playing with a novice or experienced players. And there's a lot of expansions that you can buy with it. I'd say there's four or five expansions at this point and i actually love a lot of their expansions and i can't say that about other games my favorite thing that they did was was it a kickstarter they did the last one was a kickstarter yeah they basically had people suggest different races and abilities 
And the ones that won, they did Kickstarter to like release them as an expansion. And I love that so much because there's so many interesting things. Like that's my favorite part is every time you play, sometimes you'll get the same ones come up every once in a while, but it's completely different. And so it's exciting for me to say like, oh, I want to play, you know, I want to play this race with this ability. I've never done that before. How would that even work? And the races have have intrinsic abilities that combine with the other abilities. So sometimes you're like, is that going to conflict or not? Like, are these going to play well together or not? And you don't know until you play. And I like that. And a lot of times, not a lot of times, but several times when I play a game, if there's aspects of gameplay that are more fun than winning, then I end up not winning very often because I'm chasing these other things. I feel like Small World does a good job of making the fun part also part of winning. And I think that's really a lot harder to do in games than people think. It's a lot harder to make the most fun part of the game intrinsic to winning a lot of games, there's lots of fun parts to play, but some of those fun parts, and sometimes the most fun part, do not help you win. And that becomes a bummer because I want to do the most fun part. <laughs> and I also want to win. So I like with this game, for me, the most fun playing is is pulling out those combinations of races and abilities, playing them out, see how they play out, throwing, finding the perfect time to go into decline and pick a new race, like calculating that all and doing something completely different with this other race. And that matches up with other people's weaknesses. So you can just like obliterate at them. That is like the most fun part. And that's also the biggest part of winning. And I think that's what makes this game such a fantastic game. So if you haven't played it yet, it's definitely super, super fun. And the expansions are worth it. Like when Russ got it for me, he got it for me for my birthday and they got all the expansions too. There was like a really good deal on who knows where eBay or something. And he got all of them. And then we just kind of parsed out those expansions over like almost two years. We just basically like would pull one out like every four or five months. And And it was just like one of those things where they kind of added and didn't take away. So definitely a fun game. Totally recommend it. Small World came out in 2009. You can find it just about anywhere. Super fun. All right. Next thing I want to talk about is my game. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, B-A, start. I'm talking about the code. (laughs) If you didn't know what I meant, I'm talking about the code for NES. That's the Nintendo Entertainment System for for Konami games. And the list of games for that is Contra, Life Force, Gradius, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 through 4, and Top Gun, the second mission. I love that you assumed that if people don't know what that game code is, they probably don't know what NES stands for. I love that your assumption is that, you know what, if they don't know what this code is, then I have to spell out Nintendo Entertainment System. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This code was one of the coolest features of the NES. And it was just one of the coolest things, and it made a lot of these really tough games possible to beat and possible to see all the stuff. Um, so the game designer from Konami, whose name is Kazuhisa Hashimoto, I think I did pretty well with that. Yeah, you did. Um, he, he decided in 1986 when he made Gradius that the game was just too hard to beat with the three or whatever five lives you got. And so he came up with this code to kind of make it easier it kind of I think in Gradius it just gives you all the power ups. It doesn't give you more lives. It gives you all the power ups at once and makes it actually possible to beat Gradius which otherwise is an impossible game. They were going to take it out and the rumor is that he actually forgot to take it out and that it was in the final game as an accident 
That's not confirmed. Like I said, that's just a rumor. He never really talked about it after that. But the coolest thing about this, and I mean, if you think about social media and the way things work now, if something like this happened on a video game where there was this cheat, everybody would know about it on Twitter the first day it came out. Or everyone maybe even would know before it came out. It would, it would be this big story. What's really cool is this cultural phenomenon that you now see on t-shirts that people talk about only grew by word of mouth. Literally, people's mouths had to move to make it work. People had to call their friends on the wired telephone to tell each other about about the code. So going down different games, Contra is probably the most popular game that people would would uh, associate the code with. If you do it on the on the beginning screen, it gives you thirty lives, which is pretty fun in Contra. It makes it to where you can just run through and and beat it very very quickly. I have a friend who we hope to have on the podcast sometime that can actually beat Contra without, without losing any lives, which is just insane. Life Force is a space game. Also gives you 30 lives. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two through four. If you do it on the beginning, it actually gives you a stage select where you can start on, on later levels. If you want, you don't have to start on level one and then Top Gun, the second mission, it gives you 20 lives. I've only included this list. There's a, there's other ones on the list. These are the ones confirmed that I have personally done. Code is just the, the coolest thing and it makes the game super fun and it makes them super playable and just, uh, makes it a really good and fun time. And again, it was a neat, it was a neat, uh, cultural phenomenon to be a part of growing up in the eighties and nineties. Now, is this something, this, was this before like NES Power came out? Like, what was that magazine? It was like, that's a really good question, Nintendo Power. Yes, thank you. I know Nintendo did they, Power. Did they release this, or is this something that purely happened by word of mouth? Because I know, like, my brother used to grumble a little bit about not being able to purchase Nintendo Power because he felt like it gave you such an advantage if you had it and you knew all the secrets and you knew all these little codes and stuff. Although we all we stopped short of buying the Game Genie, which really felt like a cheat. The Game Genie was awesome. That yeah. was that was a straight up cheat. That was for those of you who don't know, the Game Genie was this little half cartridge that you would put on these Nintendo cartridges, and then you would type in codes into this Game Genie, and it would give you all kinds of crazy stuff. Sometimes it would give you un- un- like invincibility and unlimited lives and items, you know, crazy all kinds stuff. of stuff, money. It only worked with certain games, but I always felt like when I would see that commercial for the game genie, I'd be like, "What cheaters! <laughs> Such Nintendo posers!" I now, some of the game genie codes though actually made the games harder, which was kind of cool, or, or would give you different. Um, I wouldn't know. Yeah, I had a game genie, and that would actually give you because you're a cheater. That's why. I just like everything <laughs> Nintendo, and I wanted to have as much Nintendo stuff as possible. But yeah, the the Game Genie, I think, really came out of this kind of thing. I, I don't think Nintendo Power was around in 1986. I think it was closer to 88 when it came out. I know, I know for sure there was a Mario 3 issue of Nintendo Power, so I'm thinking 88, 89 is when Nintendo Power came out. But yeah, this code was really cool and, and really fun, and again, uh, if you play NES games, check out those games and uh, and use the code. Well, I think, code. I think we've uh, I think we've covered it all. We did a book, a movie, and a game. Thank I even you. snuck a TV series in there. Thank you guys so much. I just want to talk about real quick, just some podcast stuff. Just so you know, you can find me on Twitter and Twitch 
Dr. Jen with glasses. So if you look for me there, please uh, follow me on Twitter. I do good announcements. I do different things. It's helpful to me. Also, if you guys are listening to this on iTunes or SoundCloud or any other service that lets you write a review, review and you like us, please write a review. It helps us. For iTunes, I have no idea how it actually helps us because the iTunes system is deliberately opaque. Like, thank you very much, guys. Our first stream, our first podcast has full bars for right now. That changes constantly. For popularity. For popularity. Do we know what that means? No idea. iTunes isn't good at sharing. (laughs) But it is helpful to us. Also, we have a new email address just for our podcast. It's bookmoviegamepodcast at gmail.com. If you want to write in, if you guys watch or read or play any of our recommendations and you have comments, please write in. If you have things you want to say about things we've said, that sounds great too. We'll read We'll read your letters. Or if you have questions or you just want to say hi. You want to say hi. Don't be a creeper, please. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, Jen and I are going to be at PAX East. That's the Penny Arcade Expo in Boston. Uh, and I believe that's April 22nd through the 24th. And we're going, obviously, as attendees because we're super small time. But if you happen to be there, I will be on Twitter. You can you can tweet at me. And if you come, if you, we meet up, I'll give you, we made special buttons for Book Movie Game and also for my stream uh, that we can give out with all our info on them. So you could have a cool little button that and we made. I'll be wearing a Book Movie Game t-shirt. Yeah, we'd love to say hi and, and whatever and see what you guys think. Obviously, most of you are not going to PAX East because most of you don't even live in the East, but we just want to let you know we're going to be there. Thank you very much for uh, listening to Book Movie Game. We will be here on the same pod channel, same pod time, and same pod place. Oh, great. (laughs) Podcast. You know, when I make a face at him, I just want you to know Russ just does more. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Bye, guys. See ya.